Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Anyway, at one point, I was walking around on Sunday afternoon, uh, and a couple of people had arrived early to pick up their baskets, and it was just awesome watching them because they were so happy to be here, not because they were getting food, but because they were just standing in the middle of everybody who is smiling and laughing and having fun, and they just had these huge grins on their face, which if we can do an event that was almost twice as big as we thought that it was going to be, and people that are coming to receive from it are walking away just feeling happy and joyful, that's a pretty amazing thing. So well done for showing Jesus in that way to people. It was just a good environment. And uh, do you want to know how much money that we raised? So we asked about a month ago uh, if you would give, consider giving one day salary to feed your neighbors for a year. And we said we probably need about $20,000 to be able to do Thanksgiving and our mobile food pantry for an entire year. And you guys showed up really, really well. And as of last count, we have raised $21,000, guys, which is amazing. Really good. So we can not only keep Mobile Food Pantry going at the same level that it is, but now we have enough money to grow it, uh, to deal with inflation and all that stuff, and to love on more people who really need it, which is kind of the goal, right? That's what we're going for. So thank you for that. And if you served last weekend and you were like, this was so much fun, I want to keep doing it regularly, great. Dasha Klinger is sitting right over there, and she would love to talk to you about how to be a part of the mobile food pantry at least once a month, serving people in this same way, making deliveries, packing the food, uh, buying groceries. Uh, For real, we would love to have you be a part of it. Uh, If you're interested, talk to Dasha or me after this service. Okay, I'm done. I just want to pray and thank Jesus for what he did last weekend, so let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you love our community more than we do, that you love those who are in need, and that you give us opportunities to be able to love on them well. Thank you for last weekend, for times as a church, to be able to rise to the occasion and be able to serve in the ways that you're asking us to, to be able to show your heart to people who otherwise we wouldn't be able to, just because we wouldn't probably have the chance to meet them and to pray with them, and to just show practically how much you love them. So thank you for those opportunities. We love you. We're so grateful for what it is that you're doing in our church and in our community. And we just ask for you to come and to speak to us this morning. Make us more aware of your presence here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to start off this morning. You know, as I was thinking about this series, we're starting our Advent, our Christmas series this morning, and I think Christmas often feels, to me, a little understated spiritually. Hang with me here. You know, we we love the traditions, we love the nostalgia, we love hearing the same stories that we hear every year after year after year after year, and it's really good, and we don't really want to change many of those things. But when it comes to like our expectation of what Jesus is going to do during the Christmas season, I think often it's a little bit understated. And part of that is probably that we're just busy 
You know, we have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we, we have to do all the shopping and throw all the parties, which is such hard work to party all December long and invite everybody over and make sure that family members are included and, and do all the kids things. And like, there's just a lot of stuff that keeps us occupied. And then church tries to throw fun things on top of that. And it just makes it way too complex. There's so many things that we have to go through. And that by the end of it, we're kind of like, yeah, we... We like Christmas, but as far as like Jesus goes, as far as expecting something more spiritually, it's not usually our primary focus. We don't have a lot left that we are going for. You know, these four, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas are called Advent. Advent, if you don't know, is a Latin, it comes from a Latin word that means coming. It's pointing to the second coming of Jesus when he's going to return, not the first coming because that already happened. You know, we, we know about that one. Uh, so it's pointing towards the second and anticipating the second coming. And we've called this series Perusia, which is the Greek word that the Latin word Advent comes from. So it's this idea of pointing towards the coming of Jesus, uh, anticipating his presence, his arrival, his official visit. That time when the kingdom of God will come and all will be made right. And we, of course, know that Jesus already came as a baby, right? There's no spoiler alerts when it comes to the Christmas story. You know what's getting ready to happen. You know, this is not Super Bowl 36, Tom Brady and the Patriots in his second year in the league leading the team against the Rams. They're, down, they're up 17-3. to three. The Rams come back. It ties. There's two minutes left. And Brady and all of his glory leads them down the, leads them down the field. And then Adam Vinatieri comes and kicks a field goal as time expires. That was shocking, amazing, surprising. Christmas story is not usually that. I think Christmas often feels a little understated spiritually. We're celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago, which is good, but we're not really anticipating all that much. And so as Sarah and I were praying about what it is that Jesus wants for us this Christmas uh, in our church, we felt like Jesus was saying, maybe it's time to anticipate something a little bit more this Christmas. Maybe it's a good time to start uh, looking and seeing what Jesus is up to, what he wants to do, to start anticipating his arrival and what it is that means for us, what it means that his presence comes and is here with us day in and day out, how that changes us. Maybe it's time to start looking for a little bit more during the Christmas season to prepare for an official visit from Jesus. Does that sound like a good thing to do this Christmas? Are you, are you in on that? Can we anticipate a little bit more from Jesus this Christmas? Well, to start us off, I want to look at John 1, 1 through 18, where we read about the first break-in of Jesus into our world, and it didn't come in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. John 1, 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. 
The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one that I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed Jesus to us. Don't you love that passage? I do. I think it's just powerful. It shows us more of who Jesus is. And I love that about it. Because here John's revealing Jesus to us. He's revealing Jesus to people 2,000 years ago who may not have been around Jesus. This church that he was pastoring in Ephesus, he's revealing his, his encounters, his, his story of his life, his years with Jesus, and he's laying them all out here in John chapter one. He begins by starting that and he tells us these things about Jesus. He said, Jesus is the word that creates. He's the light that darkness can't understand. And he's the one who reveals God to us. To properly anticipate the arrival of someone, you have to know two things. One, you have to know who they are. And the second thing is you have to know why it matters that they're coming. Why do you care that they're coming? And I think John here begins to tell us those two things. Who is Jesus and why do we care that he comes? What difference does it make? How does it change things for us? So let's talk about who Jesus is. In the beginning, the word already existed. In this first sentence, John lays out something that would have been massively controversial to half of his church in that very sentence because he says that Jesus is God. No mistakes about it. And he says that he is the word in these verses very clearly on purpose because as a pastor in Ephesus, he would have been speaking to two groups of people, to the Gentiles in the church and to the Jewish people in the church. To the Gentiles, when they heard this idea that behind creation was a word, they would have immediately thought of this, the, the common philosophical idea that behind all of createdness, behind the entire universe, that there is one thing, logos, the word, reason. It's behind everything. And so they hear this and they say, Jesus is the thing that's behind all of creation, to the Jewish people in the room when they heard this, they would have heard it very clearly as well and heard Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth where it says that God spoke and all was made. Jesus is the spoken act of creation. He's the one behind all of creation. He's the one speaking life into existence. The church would have been really aware of this because behind all of this, was Jesus. 
is what John's laying out here. Before creation, Jesus was. He was the word before everything. His first arrival, shocker, was not in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. No, he's much older than that. He already was at that point. He was still at that point, and he would be at that point. Jesus has been forever. He is God. He is with God. He is one of the Trinity. And John lays this all out here in the opening verses of this passage. Can you imagine what that would have been like to hear for the first time? All of a sudden, this entire theology of the Trinity, which we've been debating for 2,000 years, was laid out in front of them of what it looks like for Jesus to be God. And John lays it out here. Jesus is the word giving life as he speaks. Nothing was created except through him. He speaks and life happens. And the word gave life to everything that was created. All that is came from the lips of Jesus. Now, I'm fairly terrible at creating with raw materials. You give me a blank canvas and some paints, I might draw a couple of lines and then I'll freak out a little bit and I'll be like, too much for me, I can't do this. You give me a pile of clay and a potter's wheel, and I'll make a couple of awkward references to Ghost and Patrick Swayze, and then I'll walk out of the room. Like, I am terrible with forming things with my hands in that way. Not a skill set that I have. So when I think about creating, I think about Legos. You know, the building block of generations, right? Uh, the thing that I love about creating with Legos is that I can have an idea in my mind, and when I mess it up, which I will inevitably, all it takes It's just me taking one thing off and then putting it in a different place. That is my type of creating. Pottery, that does not work for me. That's this big, massy clump. Like, it's not good. Legos, I can handle and I love. Those are a couple of uh, creations from around our house. So, you know, credit where credit is due at that. But for me, when I look at the blank slate of creation and I think about creating from nothing, it just seems too much for me. It seems beyond my capabilities, which I guess is a really good thing. It just seems amazing. Eugene Peterson says this, wonder, astonishment, and adoration. There can't be many of us for whom the sheer fact of existence hasn't rocked us back on our heels. Does the thought of creation from nothing inspire awe in you? Hopefully it still does. If not, ask Jesus to to shock and awe you a little bit more because I think that's a good spot for us to be when we think about the, Jesus as the creator of everything. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. This uh, idea of Jesus being the light is one of John's most common themes throughout his gospel. And honestly, it's not one that I've ever super connected with. So I spent a little bit of extra time reading it and praying about it this week because it wasn't fully grabbing a hold of me. Uh, But I want to dig into it a little bit here. Here are some of the verses where John talks about Jesus as the light. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. 
John 9, 5, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12, 46, I have come as a light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. John 3, 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And then again here in John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. This last part of John 1, 5 could also be translated as the light has not understood it. Do you know what the definition of darkness is? It's not like the opposite of light. It's not uh, something that's weaker than light or stronger than light. It is only this. It's the complete and total absence of light. Darkness is only defined by what it does not have at all. The definition of darkness is that it does not have light. Think about that. When we talk about Jesus being the light, the darkness can't extinguish it because it doesn't understand it, because it's never seen it, because when light comes, darkness is gone. It can no longer stay in the face of light. When Jesus enters the scene, darkness is gone because darkness is defined as the absence of Jesus. It's not just like there's equal and opposites. This isn't Star Wars or Lord of the Rings where there's like a good and a bad. It's boom, when the good's there, the bad is gone. It's dissipated. It's forever locked away. It can't even encroach upon the area because light cannot be where darkness is. Darkness is can never be where light is. It destroys it immediately. So I want to do something. Are you willing to try something with me? Take out your phones. I know, I'm giving you permission to to check Facebook. You're welcome. Not really, not really. Here's what I want to do. I want to try this out. And, you know, like, I, I can't do this by myself, so I've never fully done this, so we'll see if it works or not. Uh, but what I want to do is we're going to turn off the lights. And then I want us to turn, we all have these little flashlights on our phones, I think, at this point, all of us do. And so I want you to do just one simple thing. Turn on your flashlight when you start to pray. Pray out loud, pray in your head, it doesn't matter to me. And turn on your flashlight when you start to say who Jesus is where you want Jesus to move, and let's see what happens to the darkness as we begin to bring Jesus into the room, okay? So here's one last quote before we do this from George MacDonald. He says this, there's no loveliness, nothing that makes man dearer to his brother man that is not in God, only it is infinitely better in God. He is God, our Savior. He's the God of comfort and consolation. He will soothe and satisfy his children better than any mother her infant. The only thing he will not give them leave is to stay in the dark. God doesn't let us stay in the dark. Sure, we can choose it, but if we ask his permission, the second that he comes in, it's gone. So are you willing to try this out with me? You in? Okay. Grab your phones and hit it, Pete. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for who it is that you are. I thank you for the good things that you've given us. I thank you that you are the creator 
that you're the one who spoke and that there was life. I thank you that uh, you don't uh, have to worry about darkness being near you because where you are, there is no dark. You're the one that comes and brings total light. Jesus, I thank you that today that you can bring light into our dark situations, that you can dissipate the darkness that we feel around us, Jesus. We just pray right now for any ways that we feel like there is darkness around us. We ask that you will come and bring your light in the midst of it. Start to take away the things that that we have felt surrounding us, Jesus. Bring your light, bring your love, bring your hope. Bring, speak your creation into the midst of our situation, Jesus. We thank you for who you are and for what it is that you're up to. So if you look around, sure there's some lights everywhere, but Jesus is still around. We never have complete and total darkness. But it's a lot less dark than when we first turned off the light. That's what happens. When we have Jesus, the darkness disappears. And Matthew 5 tells us that that's our job. He says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In John 1, 9, the one one who is the true light who gives light to everyone is coming into our world. And he's here right now. You can turn on the lights again, Pete. Verse 14. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is God himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus is the one who's come. He's brought God's presence to us. He's revealed God's presence to us. What does the parousia, the arrival of Jesus, bring into our lives? We're told three things here. Unfailing love and faithfulness and his glory. So let's talk about those right now. So Jesus brings unfailing love and faithfulness. What I love about this is that it's not something that's based upon us. It's not based upon uh, how well that we can uh, love other people or or how faithful that we are. It's not flimsy or floppy. Uh, It's not reliant on us at all. It's based upon the character of God. And Jesus is never changing. And if Jesus is never changing, if God is never changing, then that means that his love is never changing which means that we could be confident that it's never going to fail. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be stable. He's always going to be faithful to us. We don't have to worry about him getting tired of us, wanting to move on to somebody better. We don't have to worry about what happens when we screw up and whether or not he still cares. He is never changing. So we can stand confidently in his love and in his faithfulness. And that's a pretty good promise that his presence brings. And the second thing that it brings is his glory. Eugene Peterson says, glory is what we're after. Whatever else glory is, it is not just more of what we already have. Here's the thing. We must let Jesus define glory for us or we will miss it entirely. 
despite all those conversations and prayers and discourses in which Jesus over and over again identified himself as God's word speaking creation and salvation and wholeness of life into being, not many saw the glory. Glory is what we're after. It's not just more of what we already have, but not many saw it. There's encouragement and a warning in this when it comes to the glory of God. It's really easy to overlook it by looking for other things because it looks different every single time, I think. You know, I've never seen the glory of God in the same way that they they did in the Old Testament. I've never had a vision like Isaiah did where he saw the whole throne and everything. I've never been like Ezekiel where he saw a, a, a valley full of bones become humans and rise up. Like, I've never been walking in the desert and had a pillar of fire or a cloud lead me to where it is that I'm supposed to go. I've never seen the things that people saw in the Bible, but does that mean that I haven't seen the glory of God? No. It just means that it looks different. It looks different because we are different. God's not different but we're different. We're different people. We live in different circumstances, different times. We have different experiences. There's a different reality to his glory that we're going to see. It's not going to look the same as it's looked even the last time that we saw his glory because we're in a different position. And so we need to be aware of that because I agree with Peterson that the glory of God has to be the thing that we're after. And this is, this is a promise that Jesus gives to us. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Do you want to take a hold of that promise this Christmas? Do you want to experience the glory of Jesus in whatever form it is that he wants to show it to you and give it to you this year? I want us to experience that because I think by experiencing his glory that we're changed. In his presence, things become different, and I want that for us this Christmas. You know, Mary was shocked when she had an official visitor show up in her house uh, that day to tell her that she was going to become pregnant in a very unorthodox way. Joseph was astonished when he had an angel show up and tell him not to run away from Mary's very unorthodox pregnancy. Elizabeth was amazed because one day she was just in her house pregnant at a uh, an advanced age when all of a sudden Mary walked in and the baby inside of her jumped with joy because it was in the presence of Jesus in utero. The wise men were beyond pale when all of a sudden they walked into that teeny tiny little room in Bethlehem and saw a baby and knew that it was the king they had been searching for. The shepherds didn't even know what to do with themselves when all of a sudden the sky filled up with a choir of angels singing down and saying that the Messiah had come to their town right then and right there and then they went and they met Jesus. Every single time that someone comes into the presence of Jesus, that they get an official visit, something changes for them. We need that this Christmas. We can't just keep going the way that we're going. 
It's not going to get us there. We need more of Jesus. When Jesus arrives, it's shocking, and it leaves us changed. This Advent, we want our expectation to be that we want more. We want more of the Holy Spirit. We want more of Jesus. We want more of his glory. We don't want to miss it because we're too busy. We don't want to miss it because we have our eyes focused on other things. We want to be open-handed saying, come Holy Spirit and do what you want. That's our attitude as we go into this Christmas season. Worship team, come on up. And everybody else, let's stand and pray and just ask for more as we go into this time of worship. So stand with me. Jesus, we want more of you today. I thank you that you're already here, that you're already speaking, that you're already moving in our hearts. But we want more. We want to encounter you in new ways. We want to be aware of your glory. Jesus, I pray that this morning that we will encounter your glory in whatever form you want to bring it to us, to each and every one of us personally. We want to encounter you in your presence and be aware of the change that you're bringing to our hearts. And thank you that you're the, the word that spoke life, that you're the light that the darkness cannot even be around and that you're the one who reveals God to us. So come, creator, come light, come revelation, and show us more of who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. Who you are and feel 
with your heart and leave me in your love to those.